Welcome to Beyond the Tools, the podcast that helps contractors attract more leads, grow their business, and finally get off the tools. In each episode, you'll discover marketing tactics that work. You'll get actionable insights from other successful contractors and connect with experts to help you grow. I'm your host, Crystal Hobbs, owner of a social media agency that helps contractors attract and convert more leads. Get ready to take your business to the next level so you can finally enjoy the fruits of your hard labor. Ready? Let's go. Hey, contractors, welcome back to Beyond the Tools. Happy New Year. And I think this is the perfect episode for us to include in January because this is often a slower time for a lot of contracting companies. And this interview is all about how to keep profitable, how to keep growth going, even when the market shifts. I'm your host, Crystal Hobbs, and today I had the pleasure of interviewing Chris Crew, who is the president of Blue Collar Success Group. Let me tell you a little bit about Chris's background and what we cover in this episode. Chris joined the Blue Collar Success Group in early 2018 as a success coach and has since offered extensive knowledge about every facet of the in-home services business. Pricing, planning, budgeting, marketing, recruiting, training, and showing clients how they can transform their businesses into revenue generators, which is what it's all about here. Chris's journey through the industry began at age 16 as an apprentice electrician, and then he moved on eventually to, in 2005, he joined a residential electrical company and was quickly promoted to a supervisor responsible for 18 trucks and producing more than $4 million in revenue. Chris has even won the million dollar award for producing 1.4 million in revenue for a company he worked for in Georgia. And eventually he oversaw a coaching team for the franchiser for more than 90 locations nationwide. He then shifted to owning an electrical business and grew the company in a four year span from 10 trucks to 60 with five locations and generating $18 million. Chris ultimately sold his shares of the company to join the Blue Collar Success Group. So what Chris really dives into in this episode is how to make sure your company stays on top, even when everything else is going down. So if you're struggling right now in your business, if things aren't as busy as they used to be, Or if you're a little bit nervous about the economy, this is an excellent interview to listen to because I guarantee you will walk away with some actionable insights that you can implement in your business right now to keep your sales strong. So let's head on over and chat with Chris. Chris, welcome to the show. I am super excited to have you here. Awesome. So fantastic to be here, Crystal. Thanks for the invite. So I had the pleasure of meeting you and seeing you speak at Service World. And I just love the way you really simplify things, but say things in a way that really get people thinking differently. So I'm excited to get a bit of that experience on the show and to share that with our listeners. 
I know, Chris, you've been in the industry since you were 16. You've built and sold a successful company, and now you work with a ton of other home service businesses. What are you seeing as the state of the industry right now as we begin 2023? So, I, I, you know, I think, Crystal, it's important to realize and recognize that our industry is not brand new. However, the service component of it is is not brand new, but it is ever evolving and shifting due to technology uh, has made a, a, a large shift in, in the industry of what we do. But one of the things I would highly recommend that people to recognize and realize is the fundamentals of this business haven't changed at all. You've got to have the ability to go market for customers and the ability to go serve those customers. And that's the fundamental of this business. So, I, you know, if I were to say 2023, what would be one thing that uh, I would say is the state of the industry is I think based on the way the economy is shifting right now, and, and it's not different, right? This has always happened. The economies have always gone up and down. And I think we've experienced some really high highs coming in off of 2022 and even back to 2021, starting in 2020 with, with COVID, right? So a lot of people experienced a absolute halt. And then all of a sudden it was like the floodgates opened and everything shifted. So I think at that point, what ended up happening is it made business easier than it's ever been before. So 2023, I would say, still got to be focused on serving customers and acquiring customers. That doesn't change. Yeah. And it is interesting. I'm having a lot more conversations, really just the last couple of weeks with contractors who have been saying, you know, things were crazy 2020, 2021. Now they're starting to see things slow down. And I think the smart ones are being proactive about that and thinking about how to adjust. But a lot of people are in a position where they are a little more reactive. So where you are in the industry and you've been around, you've seen things shift over time. What do you think happens when the economy shifts? So so two things when I think about when the economy shifts there, when there's an insane amount of demand and not enough supply, it creates shortages for the contractor. So the contractor is experiencing or, you know, it whether it's labor, material, sourcing of vehicles, and it puts a lot of pressure that contractors aren't used to experiencing where in the old days you would put an ad out and you'd have a line out your door of people wanting to come to work for you because supply and demand was out of balance. And what I would say is that when it gets really out of balance is typically where the contractor feels the most pain. And many of us have felt the pain around too much work and not enough resources. And because of that, they got very selective about what what will they work? What jobs will they take? What will they say yes to? And the challenge with that is because of that, they said yes to a lot of things that they normally wouldn't have said yes to, which is around standards of team members. So what will they allow? What will they not allow? Specifically around like your level of tolerance. Contractors have the highest level of tolerance for pain I've ever met in anybody in the world. Like some business people are like, yeah, we just don't tolerate that. And it just becomes a norm in our industry. And I say that, I say that as an operator myself, like we have really high tolerances for pain of what we're, we will accept. So when I think about the flip side of that, of, oh my gosh, we don't have enough work. 
And then all of a sudden there's a different level of tolerance of pain there of like, what will we tolerate there? What will we not tolerate? But I think, you know, the, the more savvy that we become as operators, we learn how to emotionally balance the imbalance. So when you talk about balancing the imbalance, what are you seeing some of the best contractors doing right now? As silly as this sounds, there's there's people that experienced labor, material, vehicle, fuel shortages, but not as not on the bigger scale that others experienced it. Growth has exacerbated some of those imbalances. So some of the things that we're seeing with contractors that do keep that balance is not really much has changed for them. It, it, it's a little, it's a smaller bump in the road for them. They knew, they know that their plan has to be adjusted, but not thrown out the window and start again. Where I feel like a lot of contractors just, you know, even some of our clients are just, they threw their hands up. Many people are selling right now because, you know, for whatever reason, private equity is coming into our space. And like, they think this is a great place to spend money. Right. And yet we have some, some owners and operators that are taking advantage of an opportunity of a lifetime and selling their business right now. But I always ask the question, what's the next chapter of your life? So those that are super savvy and that can balance really well, they know that this is just a moment in time and they continue to push through on their goals and their plans. Yeah. So let's say a contractor listening is in this position where they did have a busy few years. Things were doing great. Now they're starting to see some challenges and the shifts in the industry in terms of labor shortage challenges and private equity firms buying up mom and pop shops and suddenly competition's a little bit more difficult. And maybe they're going into this year with a little bit of a bad gut feeling or or feeling that stress of what the future might hold. What are some of the practical things that you think they can be doing to be proactive and to set themselves up for a great year? Yeah, that's a great question, Crystal. I think, you know, it goes back to like not not once again, I, I said this, not a lot's changed. So a good economy and a good part of this industry right now will end up exposing companies weaknesses. So the what are, you know, when the economy starts to downshift, the, the companies that are like, hey, we've been really good. We've been busy. We don't need work. And I hear this a lot, Crystal. Literally, people are like, yeah, we just turned marketing off. Some of them are like, hey, we had to turn it way back. And what I would say is, like, is there a moment where you pivot? And you shifted your marketing dollars onto recruiting. And if you are good at acquiring customers, how do we go acquire talent? Many people are towards manufacturing their own talent, meaning I go find somebody that has little to no experience and then I skill them up. And that becomes the new business model instead of being at the mercy of not enough talent. I've, I've talked about this. It's because as an industry as a whole, there's been some really good contractors that have done a great job of cranking out very talented people that uh, had little to no industry and now they're owners and operators on their own. Like this industry is really good at that in a small quantity. If you look at the overall, a lot of us haven't really been focused on how, how do I continue to replenish my bench? And the really savvy ones didn't really feel that much, right? So number one is you, you got to be good at recruiting. 
You got to be good at marketing. And many people stopped marketing. And I've always said it's the kiss of death for a business. When you just turn it off, like dial it back and start reorganizing and shifting so that you don't create more demand than you can handle is an important thing, I would say. So really, really big on be sharpening your skills and operator specifically around marketing. Second thing, because there's a supply and demand imbalance, consumers, just because you answer the phone, roll a technician to the home and they're able to do the work right then, a lot of people are saying yes. But when the economy shifts again, that's going to become more difficult for contractors to find that people are saying yes more often to more stuff because they're going to tighten their purse strings. Right. So when we're looking at a consumer that is a little more conscious and thinking about these decisions more deeply, what are some of the things that contractors need to be prepared for? Like, how can they deal with those types of situations? Sure. I think it starts, Crystal, for me, that number one, you got to have a selling system. And I want to use the word selling system for a moment. And so for everybody that's like, hey, we're not a sales organization, pump the brakes. I, I don't want to turn the podcast off. Don't listen to this guy. He's a sales guy. Uh, the reality is, if we look at the definition of sales, sales is the process of getting someone emotionally or intellectually involved in a product, a service, or an idea. Like that's just sales, right? So we have a product, we have a service. We've got to get people emotionally and intellectually involved in, in our offering and not make the assumption that just because we, we offer it, people will buy it. So the selling system should start with the phone, the first human interaction. How do I answer the phone first? Number two, do I have good systems in place of rolling a technician to the home or a salesperson to the home through dispatching? A lot of people might refer to that as a service coordinator, like how do I take the service call that was placed in my business and get someone there? And there, there's that is a part of the system. When that part of the system's broken, it starts to affect everything down the service episode chain. So then I go to the service call. How do I make sure? So all of that's a part of a selling system. Second question is, how do I then transfer the belief of my selling system into my team members? So they really believe in what I'm saying of, how that we should function as an organization. And then number three, ensure that what you've been training them is actually taking place. And I say this all the time, two things going on in a business, what you think's going on and what's really going on. And so you got to inspect what you expect. I love that. And I'd like to dig into those things a little bit deeper. So maybe we can start with what happens on the phone. How do I track my booking percentage and make sure that's where it should be? So I, I, I will say, Crystal, I'll never forget this. And let, let me say this, software has been amazing for our industry, but it's only as good as it's set up and it's utilized. So it's the old garbage in, garbage out concept. Uh, I'll tell you a story. In 2014, I was working on putting together some plans in the business of some things that I was working on. And as a part of that, I was trying to measure some of my marketing and I was also comparing calls ran, calls booked and some of those metrics from software. And as I was measuring, they just didn't line up. And I dug in and come to the realization that some of my tracking lines, my number one tracking line with the largest volume was an old legacy number. When I use the word legacy, it's the number that's on your truck. It's the one on your invoice. It's the one on all your equipment sticker. You know, everybody's got the same number everywhere. 
And I, I took a different approach there. I, I tracked everything separately as much as I possibly could. Internet today is, is limited some of that ability with Google scoring. When you put a bunch of different telephone numbers at the same address, I don't want to get in the weeds there. But my point is I dug in and I realized that I thought my call booking percentage was like 86%. The number shown 66%. I was literally bleeding at the jugular, which meant approximately six customers that called me out of 10. I only got to them to say yes. And I was, I thought I was at like eight and a half, right? So it starts with the, the inbound on the phone, like having a process, being a human. And I, and we say this a lot. And, you know, I, I get a lot of slack for this and I, I still stand firm on, on this. Like it, it doesn't change what I believe and I believe what I believe. And it worked well for me, which is not only is there a process of answering the phone, like operationally, there's also a, a process of the conversation that happens. We have to ask this question. We have to say this. And so it was very standardized. And a lot of people say, well, I don't, I, my, I don't want my people to be scripted. And, and while I get that, I do understand that we believe in, in a framework of a script. Like this is the point that you're making. And this is what you say. You got to say it the way you would say it though. So I, I would say if I'm, if I'm looking at my inbound call and a lot of times, by the way, Sorry, I, I don't want to. I don't want to chase a rabbit off here on another little trail. But a lot of times, what we see is that there's not a lot of value placed in the person answering the phone. We value the person in the home more than we value the person on the phone. And and I'll encourage Crystal in this situation. You want to see what a CSR is worth to you or a call taker? Go look at how many calls they handle and book a year, and multiply that times your revenue per lead. And you'll realize a call taker is worth way more than the technician. However, we've placed so much emphasis on the in-home selling in this industry that the CSR and call takers almost been like a little bit of like a support, but they're a revenue generator. Yeah, I think that's such an important mindset shift. And I guess if you are properly tracking what your bookings are from calls, then that data really reinforces that too, because you can see it. Yeah. And so Crystal, what, what if you, what if I don't have software, Chris, how can I handle this? Mm -hmm. You have to inspect what you expect, but there's nothing wrong with a piece of paper. I mean, businesses operated off paper long before they operated off. Is it more complex? Yeah, it is more complex. Is there more room for error? Yeah, there's more room for error. But when I look at, at tracking, what is important to identify is if you have a software, and this is for everybody listening, if you've got a software that tracks your call taking, I'd encourage you to do this. And this is a good little nugget. We teach all of our clients this. I did this in my business and it's something that it, it's just the heartbeat of my, my call center, which is once a week, I listen to a total of nine calls, random calls but they're bucketed into three different buckets. Number one, booked appointments. Like we actually, the customer said, yes, go listen to three of those randomly, not the same day, not back to back, three random booked appointments, three random non-booked appointments, and then three non-opportunity calls where it's a customer calling in looking for an invoice or it's a vendor or it's a what. Here's the logic. Number one, guarantee you if you have a selling system, and it's being used, you want to ensure that it's actually being used correctly. So by listening to three book calls ensures of that. And I'm telling you from personal account, just because it was booked doesn't mean they followed the process. 
three non-books, you can see where you can get better. Did we follow the process or is that the reason why they weren't booked? And then three non-opportunities for the simple reason, Crystal, I want to know what my level of customer service is and how my company treats people that have either already done business with me or their vendors and they're looking to work with me. How do we treat those people on the phone? Because your reputation follows you everywhere. Yeah, that's a great point. And not to follow this rabbit down the trail, but I know you've talked before at Service World Expo, for example, about having more performance-based pay. So if you're looking at your CSRs and rewarding bookings, Mm -hmm. but then you dig into calls that don't lead to that direct result, there may be a difference there. Well, so on that point, though, Crystal, and I'm sorry, I I don't I don't want to belabor this, but there's a stigma around call taking. So if if someone's listening to this podcast and you're a you're more of an advanced operator, you probably have already learned this lesson. But the stigma is call takers are usually females that are like it's an entry level position. And what I'm what I'm going to tell you is while that might have some truth to it. It's not all the way true. Like if if you level up your skill in your call center, you'll also level up the performance. So one of the things that I did is I quit recruiting call takers. I quit recruiting CSRs. Like I just don't recruit for that. I recruit for people for inside sales and that changed. But here's the challenge of that, Crystal, to your point. If I'm paying an entry-level position, I'm going to get entry-level talent. And so if you want to up level, you, you've got to have a, a process in your business. Uh, a, a performance-based pay may not be the answer for you. I'm a big fan of it. Like I, I want people to earn, you know, what that, what they're there for. And that doesn't mean every position's all performance-based. There's base plus. And so my CSRs have base plus. And in many cases, some of my, some of my best CSRs were in the $50,000. Now keep in mind, that's 2017, making $50,000, $55,000 a year. So let's say we've got things figured out then in terms of the phone, that next piece when you actually get someone in a customer's home, what are some of the things that we can focus on there to get better at service? We teach this in our classes. How do I get, and and this is what I'll say, and, and people will maybe disagree a little bit with this. And that's all right, right? I'm not looking for someone to be agreeable. My my, my job in the world, in this universe, especially in this industry, is to call pe- cause people to start thinking, right? I want you to start thinking about things. But I believe that the most technical technicians have, have the biggest advantage in the home because they will be able to see, know, and understand what work needs to be done where a lesser skilled technician does not. So when we think about that, what are some key things? Doing a full evaluation in the home, not going in and, and just looking to put Band-Aids on things. So now when I go in and I put a Band-Aid on, most technicians think they've done a great job for the customer because they're trying to focus on the dollar of the repair. The cheaper I keep it, the more of a nice guy or a nice person that I am. And what I'm going to say is I'm not a financial advisor. That's not what I am to the customer. I'm here to serve them as a service tech. My job is to go through the home. Now, keep in mind, not training a technician to go through and find things to sell. That's not the goal. The goal is to fully understand why you called me and figure out why that happened. So as a professional technician, I can offer you real solutions to fixing it so it doesn't happen again. And and that's a key. So then 
It goes from really understanding what needs to be done. Most technical technician has the advantage there because they're not going to put a Band-Aid on it. I'll give you an example. When when we're talking about this, if, if I'm a plumber and water quality is the challenge, reason why the toilet flapper is leaking and I don't address the water quality issue in their home, you haven't really provided them a solution. If I'm an electrician and I go into a home for an outlet not working and I realize that it's because all my electrician homies will understand this, but it, it's due to an installation where they backstab the outlet. Well, that outlet getting replaced will establish power, but it doesn't fix the problem because the problem is you have an installation problem. So you've got to address the whole home, even though they didn't call you for that. That's your responsibility. Like, like you, you got to own that. As an HVAC technician, if I, I go out and a, a system is uh, not operating properly, an example would be, well, they say, well, it's an impacted coil. So we need to do a pull and clean. Well, doing a pull and clean doesn't really solve the problem. It's a lack of maintenance. And it doesn't have the proper system set up, i.e. could be a UV light or an oxidizer that goes in there along with electronic air cleaner or filtration in general. It's like, this is what I would say. Technicians got to understand solution-based, not Band-Aid-based. So how do you get your technicians and your whole team to see this bigger picture and why it's important? So the ones that have done it successfully their training program is not all focused on sales. So let me just say this. While I said earlier, <laughs> people called me a sales guy, I'm a really technical guy. So I've, I've been in the industry since I was 16 years old and I continue to evolve and learn technical stuff. I'm actually, I have a master license in the state in which I, I live today. I still have it. I still have that license. So I'm, I'm still a trades guy. Like I'm still a technician. I'm just in a different role today. So super, super technical. To answer the question, technical training has to be a part of what your organization does. And we see that that a lot of organizations shifted more toward being only sales and communication and little to no technical. So the challenge is I can sell it all day long, but I'm going to miss a lot of opportunity because I don't technically understand what needs to be done. So I think it's just a good balance of technical training and soft skill training. So Chris, how would a contractor then connect the technical to the soft skills when it comes to the training that they're providing? It's actually easy, but yet complex. And and so for those, I want to give you the easy version of this, which is your technicians, most technical technicians are so techie, they just educate at a high level for the customer and the customer doesn't understand anything. And this is the reason why, and I explain it like this all the time. I've been in this industry now for over 26 years. And because I've been in this industry 26 years, I'll speak in language and lingo that I assume everybody understands because even though I didn't get super technical, I still talked in terms. So when I use things like UV bold and I use things like GFI and I use things and we go like, oh, our customers know what that is. Nope. So the important part is to make sure that your technicians understand, but they can communicate in a level that the average person can, can do that. And here's a good litmus test. This is the way I always, I've always explained it, and I believe it. Don't talk to your customer like they're a fifth grader, but educate with terminology and words as though you were talking to a fifth grader. And what could a fifth grader understand and make a buying decision or arrive at a solution on their own based on your level of education? So now I take my technical skill set that I've been training 
And I have to transfer that now into a conversation with an uneducated consumer. So I, I practice that. And that's like how, okay, now that I got technical training, it's like, now I've got to translate that into a conversation because I go back to the definition of sales, getting someone emotionally or intellectually involved in a product, service, or idea. So when I'm connecting the dots for them, I want to hear how my technicians and the answer is skill practice. We also call that role play. So I would say, you know, the old the old saying, you probably you remember this from, from the movie, right? Sell me this pen. It's like, <laughs> okay, great. I don't want you to be a salesperson, but I want you to communicate the repairs that need to be done. And this is not something you do once. This becomes a part of your culture. And that's how you win. So step number two is get people to talking in the training room in a training environment with one another to see what they're saying in the home. I love that. And that is so practical and easy, but I feel like a lot of companies aren't doing that. If you would allow me for a moment, please. Most companies don't do it because nobody's trained them in how to do it. And so what if you're listening to this podcast, I'm going to give you some really easy, simple steps. Most most technicians, they don't want to role play. They don't. And the reason why is because nobody wants to get in front of the class and give the book report presentation. That's not how. So, so role play is most effective in small groups. So big fan of this, three people in a group. One person is the homeowner. One person is the technician and one person is the coach or observer. My job as the homeowner is to be super agreeable and give you all the answers I know you really want as a technician to make it easy for them. That's how we learn the conversation. The technician's job is to stay on track with the conversation and the coach or observer's job is to make sure that both people are doing their job. My job as the trainer, facilitator, or manager is to walk around the room and make sure everybody's doing their jobs. And that is where the most learning happens. When we teach our classes, this is a part of what we do. And here's what's really funny. People are like, hey, I I don't do this. I'm like, hey, do me a favor. Give me a moment. Let us do it once. If you're uncomfortable after that, I want to ask you to do it again. I've had zero people push back after that because then they realized, oh, well, this is just like a small peer group. I'm good with that. Because in their mind, they think, oh, I got to get in front of everybody and do it. And that's the that like that Rex technicians. They're not they're not presentation people. It's not what they do. Some of them are every now and then you'll find one. But at large, they're not. And so repetition is the mother of all learning. So how do I do over, 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 over and over so that when I'm in the home, it's just natural. So skill practice laid, laid out correctly, making sure that people are doing that. So I found I, we found that, you know, when people do this it starts to elevate everything that they're doing in their training. Amazing. That makes so much sense. So I know we've covered a lot here in terms of how you can be more proactive and how you can make sure your company stays on top, even when the economy shifts. Any last thoughts or words of advice to any contractors who are listening right now? I've always said this, that this industry is such a giving industry. Like people are always so willing to help and do and and be and go. And they're trying to help a fellow contractor. Earlier in my career, it was always about stiff competition and not sharing anything because you don't want anybody to have a leg up on you. And what I would say today is for anybody listening, there's nothing new in this industry. There's no, there, there's, it's just framed a different way. So what I would say is the best advice is understanding this. If we were playing football, 
You can have the fanciest offense. You can have the fanciest defense. But at the end of the day, it's just about the basics. It's the blocking and the tackling and the running of the play. So that being said, I always teach this. It's a football analogy because I love football. But you just have to take what the defense gives you. It's a one-yard run. A one-yard run is better than no yards. It's the same concept uh, of money ball. If we can just get people to first base when they're at bat, we win the day. And so the best kind of piece bow I could put on this is how to win, no matter what the economy is, is just focus on the basics. Quit trying to be fancy. I think that is a beautiful place to end. And I know our listeners are going to want to learn more about you and connect with you further. So what's the best way for them to do that? Crystal, the best way to learn more about us is our website. So that would be at uh, thebluecollarcoach.com. You can find us there. Tons of information there. If anybody would like to connect with us personally, uh, info at thebluecollarcoach.com is the best email address to get a hold of us. And our team will make sure that they get whatever questions that someone may have over to the correct person. So we'd be glad to connect in, in that with anybody listening. Okay, great. And I know you guys offer a strategy session as well. Is that right? That is correct. So uh, if you're if you're listening to the podcast, doesn't matter how far out, this won't change. This industry has been so good to me and my family that it's always one of the things that we give back. This is not a uh, high pressure sales pitch, but if somebody wants more information about us, how we can help, or maybe you got a challenge in your business that you need solved. Let us help you. Let the Blue Collar Success Group help you. And just email that info at thebluecollarcoach.com. Let them know exactly what's going on or as or as few details you want. And then they'll get you connected with me so that we can hop on a call and I can help work through a strategy session with you. No money, no obligation. If you like what you hear and you want to know more, I can tell you how you get more of that. But outside of that, it's not an obligation to buy anything. Amazing. And I hope everyone listening checks that out. I think that's a great opportunity. This has been an awesome conversation, Chris, and I've learned a lot here. So I really appreciate you being on the show and sharing all of this insight with us. Thank you, Crystal. It's been a pleasure. and Thank you for the invite. It's been fantastic while I've been here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beyond the Tools. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. I'd love if you could also share this episode with a fellow contractor who is ready to get off the tools and grow their business. And if you want more leads, sign up for our email list at reflectivemarketing.com, where we share weekly marketing insights that you can't get anywhere else. I'm Crystal Hobbs, and I hope you'll join me on the next episode of Beyond the Tools. See you next time.